Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. My co-host today, Dave Anderson. Our regular guest, Emmanuel Gennard. And today we'll be talking about CSS and JavaScript, front-end library that nearly everyone uses right now at today's day and age. So we'll just dive into some frameworks of that sort. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce a guest of the show, Ian McNally, who is the UI architect for Schoology. What's going on, Ian? Hey, everyone. How's it going? Howdy. Good. Welcome. Did I sound like a Muppet when I said, hey? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hello, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, we're, and we're jumping in right on to CSS yeah. JavaScript. Man. That's the perfect transition right there. <laughs> there you go. Right. We have Muppets teaching us JavaScript today, <laughs> which I didn't learn JavaScript today, that Today is brought to you by the letters C. <laughs> yes. S- S- C for Cascade. Yeah. A-O. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Jumping right into it. So obviously, me personally, I'm not a big fan of CSS. Anytime that I have to make any edits to CSS, I find it very painful. Does anyone share that similar experience when they deal with CSS in the workplace? Yeah. I mean, CSS, I love the act of like actually creating something visual that people can see. But I feel like a lot of times with full stack developers, like you, you kind of, you have a, a preferred area of the code base. And, you know, a lot of people who are like full stack, they tend to like front end. Some people like backend. I like the databases. Yeah. The you like the DBs. Yeah. DBs. Yeah. I really feel CSS is misunderstood. It is. Yeah. Right? Thank you, Emmanuel. <laughs> <laughs> You're a voice of the people. I, know. I do because, I mean, it's really, it's a different men- mental model than programming. And thus, it, it takes kind of a different picture in your mind than making an object and imagining the methods being called on it and state and data. It's really kind of like a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paint me the, a picture. That's the image I have of CSS. It's a waterfall or, or it's, a sieve. But it's like, a, it's yeah. a waterfall just made of boxes? Waterfall of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good album name. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point, Emmanuel. I do, th- I do feel like, you know, you go from programming and thinking about things in you know, calling functions and instructions and stuff. And CSS is definitely a, a leap, you know, styling, you know, it's definitely a different leap jumping from, you know, programming language to CSS because the way CSS rules interact with one another and how like the order of operations of what gets loaded when and stuff and like all that yeah. all affects how the display and how something looks right. and how it behaves. How everything and, is global. Yeah. And I think a lot of debugging and figuring out like, you know, why is it looking the way it is, is, is through a lot of accumulated knowledge, which you can't express in the same way you might express something through object oriented programming or, or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting with CSS though. Like there's, it, it's always evolving. Like I, I guess anything on the front end, like JavaScript is constantly changing. By the time this comes out, like it'll be, there'll be something else that's really sweet that everyone's <laughs> going to be really into, but some weird know. acronym that gets used and thrown and yeah. everyone has to know it and Bem, know how to use it. Them and Smacks and SAS. Those there are, there's an old hat. <laughs> yeah. That's OG. Yeah. <laughs> I do like BEM though. I think BEM organizes CSS very well. And in my opinion, I don't know how anyone feels about them or smacks to do anyone follow any convention at the workplace or at the client i'm at we use a f- in-house css framework okay and they try to follow bem and recently we had one of striders make a presentation at this thing we have where 
we teach everyone something we've learned about how to actually use BIM on the project because people are just putting CSS classes or whatever, right? Oh, man. Then, Important. Yes. <laughs> Important everywhere. And then there was like a couple of stories where a couple of devs just spent like two or three days just renaming CSS class to fit the BM. Oh, Like all across all the front end. It was, oh, bless uh, their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> sent them into the desert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. maybe we can talk about like what BAM solves, right? You know, we talked we, about like we waterfall. What is, what is BAM? BAM? Yes. What is, what is BAM? <laughs> yeah. What is BAM? BAM, I believe, stands for Block Element Modifier, where... Nailed it. There you go. Boom. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> so Ben has to do with styling in that in, in the sense that you cover the entire block of your component. I'm going to use the word component. And then when you want to go into more detail, you have different syntax to show the element CSS changes. And then another different form of syntax to show the modifier. So like if you have like a header, for example, I'm going to use and then there's a button the button will be an element in the header block and then a modifier when it's disabled will be the modifier flag for that particular. System. So that would be like dot header dash button underscore underscore disabled, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, yeah. the syntax I've seen is one underscore from the block, one underscore to the element, then mm-hmm. two dashes for the modifier. Uh, there's many different ways okay. to do it, but the syntax <laughs> has to be in-house. I like, think there's yeah. a BAM prescribed one, but I think... Really, what what BAM is and and Smack and is just a level of semantics, like a way of writing a CSS selector that will help you theoretically write more maintainable CSS by right. effectively componentizing styles. Yeah, yeah. Under allowing block. you to not only add styles but also to remove them if you need to, and yeah. not feel like you're you know cutting wires on a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. I there's there's a couple articles I think that came out this year. One was called like a unified styling for CSS. I don't know. I'm I'm butchering the the title of that by yeah. this guy named Mark Dalgleish and also Chris Corey of CSS Tricks wrote about scaling CSS. Mm-hmm. Links in the show notes. Question <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> now we got to put them on yeah. the show notes. <laughs> oh, and, uh, oh, and and third shout out Adam Morris wrote about scaling CSS last year. He did like a lot of research and kind of like a survey of just going to websites and seeing how they wrote their CSS and you know what was like the duplication and and you know did CSS code bases grow and how were they maintained and, and was there any order to it and what. Chris Goyer's and Adam Morse's articles especially talked about is basically most CSS code bases only ever grow right. like like over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a technical solution or a semantic solution to to improve it or not not improve it but to decrease the rate of growth, the constant oh, growth see. without a lot of dropping because like Dave said mm-hmm. people are terrified of removing styles which is probably a cocktail of, of misinformation and some poor previous, you know, CSS writers and like, yeah, right. and you know, just the nature of CSS because the cascade is actually really powerful if mm-hmm. you use it to it's, yeah. it's, a it's effect. It's, it's pretty easy to have a global style somewhere and yeah. not really be fully aware of what all it's impacting. Yeah, exactly. And so the point of these articles is like, all right, so if every, you know, technique or, or technology is scaling up, over time, like what actually works. And the sort of conclusion was atomic CSS. There was no one technology, but there's the idea of 
sort of single rule, single use classes that can be okay. repeated sort of infinitely. Adam Morris has a pretty vested interest because he wrote tachyons, which Emmanuel and I have geeked out over a lot of times. <laughs> and yeah. I, I guess like, so single use CSS is different than like componentizing your CSS. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Like if each each class, hello, person outside the door. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, yeah. watching us record. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, so in, in Atomic CSS, each class is maps to one rule, mm-hmm. essentially, and any style is built up of a bunch of class names. Okay. Yeah, and so if you do that, you can... Actually, why would that help scale? <laughs> well, <laughs> the argument I, I read he made in that is that you then don't have duplicate CSS in your thing. So the trade-off is that your class in your... HTML, your class equal is going to be super long sometimes, maybe mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. But every CSS class does exactly one thing and one thing only. Like you want a margin bottom of like one EM, you put dash, you put margin dash dash bottom one EM. And that's all it does. Hmm. Right? So like if you have 10 different elements of style that are being applied to this thing, Mm-hmm. Then you would one. have 10 different classes that you're writing out. Yeah. What that does is keep your CSS file very, very small. Right. right yeah. Right. And then so it, it doesn't grow without, and, and everyone knows what each thing does. Yeah. That's interesting. Right? Recently, I've been looking more at styles in JavaScript and all of the various libraries that are out there to do that. There's, there's a whole bunch like styled components and JSS, but the one that we've been working with most recently is Fella. And it does something pretty similar to what you're describing where it mm-hmm. it manages your styles for you and mm. basically makes a style like A where, or like the class name is A and it is font size 16. Or maybe it have a different style where the, the line height is 1.25 and that's mm-hmm. your B style. And it'll just keep on going through that and your, your class names get crazy because mm-hmm. they're really big. But you know, it, it theoretically reduces the size of the page and you don't need to manage it yourself. So, that's nice. yeah, I feel like that's a great intervention of technology to solve problems that computers are good at, like generate, you know, a bunch of class names, build them together. And I don't really care what they look like. Yeah. Just stick right. them onto the page. Yeah. yeah. I feel bad for the QA engineers because they're like, we need a class name for the <laughs> Selenium script. It's like, <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, the class name is X2CB42A. But, but the next run is going to be something else. Yeah. So. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Just don't get too attached <laughs> to that hash. How would you QA that? Would you would you have to have an, like add an ID, or would you just say, "Hey, stop automating. Quit using so, Selenium. <laughs> unit <laughs> test. Yeah, unit test all the way. Yeah. I mean, we we would we want to do all those things. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, of course. Unit, more unit tests is better, but you know, we do want to have some end-to-end feature tests. So we're still working through this, but <laughs> IDs is one way to do it. Yeah, I'm sure, but kind of annoying. Another way might be to use like a. Uh, non-production environment and enable some kind of a library or like a helper that will like give you a meaningful class name. Oh, interesting. Which, yeah, I th- like styled components, we, we use that prior to this and that had a nice little Babel plugin that would set you up nicely with a class name, even though the class names were typically gibberish because it's managed by a computer. Similar. Could you have any way of making whatever gets spit out by the library using deterministic at all, or is it outside? Is it the black box? 
At this moment, to me, it's a black box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as Dave concerned, yeah, it's black. black box of knowledge. But, right. you know, maybe you come back next week and I'll have a, a, a teach good, and learn. Good old teach <laughs> and learn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for that, I've been using not a CSS and JS solution, but I've been using CSS modules. So you okay. write your CSS and you have Webpack's CSS loader handle that. So it'll, when you import the CSS in JavaScript, you get an object and the keys are like, The CSS classes are the keys and the value is, you know, your big, long generated string. And you can actually give it a template for like what kind of selectors you want. So in development, Mm -hmm. I'll Mm -hmm. have like the nice pretty BEM looking one, speaking of BEM. And then in development, I just give the poor prod and QA testers MD5 hashes, (laughs) 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 which, you know, is, I mean, presumably it saves some space in the the final bundle size and stuff. I know I've heard some Twitter chat about like, killing the web because like you're making scraping really hard and mm-hmm. I do sympathize with that but honestly I haven't done a lot of scraping. Also, I mean, your job I feel like is is it valuable to the people who are using whatever you're doing, right? And sometimes having a smaller CSS file size means it takes less bandwidth for them to download whatever you're doing mm-hmm. and then so then whether some scraper is trying to like scrape your website, that's you know, you figure that problem out like, you know, that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, right. I, yeah, I feel like that's pretty solidly in the category of not my problem. Because <laughs> yeah. they're stealing your, your data that you've, you've, you've yeah, put up right. on your website. Oh, I mean, no. but, you I, uh, I consulted for a company who their clients built a scraper because their website was so slow. <laughs> oh my gosh. The internal client wanted a scraper. No, no, no. Like a company that used their software built a scraper because, <laughs> because they, their website was so slow. Oh and, my gosh. And not designed in the most user-friendly way that they built their own scraper. Oh my and the, gosh. And, and the company knew about it and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. Whatever, gets, paying us us. Da- yeah. <laughs> yeah. whatever gets us the data faster, right? Oh my I guess. gosh. Yeah. Well, that's tough. Yeah. So write better CSS, I guess that's the moral of that story. <laughs> write better, well, write better websites in general so they're not slow so you're not forced to scrape. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. If someone's scraping your website, think like long and hard, like are we failing our users somewhere? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you just asked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. So I guess like the way that really works is just through the power of Webpack, like, and you get like all of the hot reloading goodness. And, and yeah, you get that. yeah, you get like the the flexibility of for the project I'm working on. Actually, the the styles are separate from the JavaScript component library. Mm-hmm. So the styles package we use Lerna. It's big one monolith repo, but we've isolated the styles as a package and the components as a separate package. So the styles package has its own build setup, and that's just a static CSS file using like a sort of BEM-like syntax. So if we have third parties or external users of our style guide or our design system, actually, you can just use CSS if you want, because that's really like the heart of any design system, I think, is, is it's, it's CSS. But then the components package pulls it in through another Webpack loader that's customized to pull it in as JavaScript, and you apply the CSS classes through like the object. So you import display from styles and you mm-hmm. do class name equals display dot grid. Mm-hmm. Shout out to CSS grid. Yes. It's the future and the present. There the coming go. revolution. <laughs> there you go. Making everyone's lives better by doing CSS. I'm, I'm all oh, for so that. Good. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for that. Cause it's painful when I have to sit down and do <laughs> CSS. There is another thing that's been, I've read about this and I should write, have mentioned it for the show notes, but this is called Houdini. Oh, what is the Houdini? Which is going to be a way to programmatically 
like extend CSS. From what I understand it. That sounds like magic. <laughs> yeah. Well, hence, I, hence the name Houdini. Yeah, Houdini. <laughs> but thinking behind it, right, is similar to like, you know how in JavaScript we have like polyfills and mm-hmm. feature flags and all this stuff yeah. where you can try out upcoming features or features that aren't in all in browsers. We don't really have that for CSS, but there is a CSS engine deep mm-hmm. below in the recesses of your browser and in every browser. And I think the Houdini project is an effort to sort of expose that and allow essentially polyfills to be built. For it. CSS polyfills, you mean? Yeah, CSS, CSS polyfills. polyfills yeah. And also, uh-huh. in, in a way to make up for, so let's say you just want to have one CSS file. You don't have to have any special CSS file for IE or make special rules to deal with Safari. Or uh, These are the ones that came up to me because that's stuff mm-hmm. we're dealing with at our client right now. I, right. <laughs> yeah. Is IE your problem? That's like yeah. a similar thing that, like, you know, an old solution like SAS gives you right like it, it does the polyfills or is it somehow different in, in a new and special way mm-hmm. man i should have read more on houdini but what i think yeah how i think it works is that you are able to tell the browser how to interpret the style oh right? interesting right and so mm-hmm. you write the styles you want you can even make up new css rules essentially mm-hmm. and say browser when you see this in the css file display it this way uh-huh. Right, without necessarily like even the polyfills were just kind of these workarounds that depended on special like you had to put dash webkit dash whatever in front of something or right you end up with dash, a lot of extra yeah. cruft in the file yeah or dash ms dev in, or ms in front of something here mm-hmm. you'd say you just write your your CSS rule and say hey if you don't understand this this is how you you should write this you should display this yeah. okay but then that may not be supported by your IE I I ate. I just hate my pain towards like anytime the client has ever asked me any previous client has ever asked me to write stuff in IEA it's just like <sighs> really, it's, just like it's, it's vintage it never got any better no no <laughs> no don't want IEA at all yeah. <laughs> don't want to deal with that Life's been good with the evergreen browsers. Yeah. Oh, man. The last couple places I work, they're just like, whatever's the latest. And yeah. Like, okay, cool. And I think like, you know, Emmanuel, you're talking about like prefixes, browser prefixes and yeah. stuff. I think like CSS Grid is like such an awesome case study and like how it was developed in the community, but not sort of released before it was really fleshed out. And once mm-hmm. it was fleshed out, it was like, oh, psych, you know, Grid is instantly in 70% of browsers in like, yeah. in like two weeks. Oh wow! Whereas, like you know, Flexbox was was built and churned wow. over three years, yeah. And then, like before that, you had MS this, WebKit that, blah, yeah. Opera, whatever Opera's thing is. Opera. Shout out to mm. the one Opera user in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that is me. That, that damn guy. <laughs> yeah, I remember when Flexbox was only available on like Chrome, and I put WebKit Flexbox stuff, and I'd be playing around. This is cool. You can do these columns and and all this. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, this <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. But yes, the evergreen browsers are amazing and they make our jobs easier as we have to write CSS. To the client out there, please stop asking us to write it in IE8. It's painful. No one uses IE8. Please stop. And if you My are, mom if still uses IE8. If you're, if you're listening, get her off AOL. Get her off AOL. Get a new computer. Have her use the latest Windows. Windows 10, I think, is the one. I'm not I'm not even sure now. I have a question. Sure. Does anyone have any strong feelings about 
I know, I remember when CSS and JS was first introduced, there were all these like think pieces on Medium about like <laughs> this is, how this is setting the, the, like the web backwards. It's about, we built CSS to have the separation of concerns between style and content. And people were like all twisted up about using CSS and JS. Anyone have any thoughts on that or? We saw a lot of other articles too that were like, "Yes, we're finally destroying CSS and moving <laughs> yeah, yeah. on." The we'll end never, of global we'll CSS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think with any new way of doing things, there's always a cognitive dissonance for a while. I remember, you know, it was like early 2014. I was just getting asked to check out React, and I was like. HTML in my JavaScript. I just spent my whole career like avoiding that. <laughs> and then here we are. And I was like, this is stupid. But like to their credit, the Facebook team on their docs were like, you know, this is going to seem weird, but give it five minutes. And after five minutes, I was still annoyed. But then like five <laughs> minutes more, five minutes more, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of power here. So like, you know, fast forward to now, we've most of the industry has gotten used to Mm-hmm, uh, JSX yeah. and, and React and the component paradigm. And so the new, the latest innovation I think has been CSS and JS. And I think it comes from a real place of, you know, wanting control since we're talking about components and state, we want to be able to control the CSS in a programmatic way. So got to get that into JavaScript. So I think CSS and JS was maybe a, a logical next step for, for frameworks that got used to putting HTML and a lot of control inside a component or or your view. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, it's kind of funny how like plastic my opinions can be sometimes where like, it's like <laughs> you, it's like JSX is like, this is so offensive. <laughs> and I, I like, I, I spent some time like coding CSS and, and JS using fella. This is repulsive. This is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done. And then like by the end of like an hour, I'm like, this is great. This <laughs> is the best. <laughs> oh man. You know, I, I really feel like that you know, there are a lot of these best practices. I'm going to drop something that's going to make some of our listeners upset, but... Let me get you, the air horn ready. <laughs> ready. You don't need semicolons in JavaScript most of the time. <laughs> Agree. Okay. Turn oh, that off. Right? It's prettier to pull them things out. Yeah, yeah, you really don't, right? And and I know it's be, it became like dogma in the JS community, especially because of uh, Douglas Crock- Crockford's book. But... We Wait. just wrote the book about semicolons, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Why you need them. Why you need them. Right. No, but, but, and, and so I remember sitting next to a senior dev at Stride and I said to this person, Hey, you don't actually need semicolons. And he sh- the per- shot me a look. Because <laughs> yeah, we yeah, were pairing. Yeah. 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 yeah like, who's this guy? You need semicolons. <laughs> well, it, the look was like, how dare you yeah. say that? Like they instantly lost all trust in you <laughs> yeah, as a human being for that know. moment. And I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to go ahead. With this. Yeah. <laughs> this is a conversation yeah. for another day. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about tabs and spaces. That's a whole commas in your object. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what, what point was I trying to make? All right, the point I was trying to make <laughs> is that a lot of times these things came about to solve a problem, right? And people sort of like forgot about the problem and remember just the rule. Right. And they're just following the rule out of like, because this person told them and this person told them and everyone tells them this is the best practice. It's your tribal knowledge yeah. being passed down. Yeah. <laughs> and no one ever thought about, hey, why are we doing this? And maybe we could solve this rule in a different way. Like we want to separate CSS. We want to make so that we can edit CSS easily. Right. Right. And so this is just a different way of editing CSS easily. So without having to like worry about, you know, 
inline styles. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the knee-jerk reaction was like, oh, inline styles. Because mm-hmm. the first few CSS and JS solutions, if memory serves me, were essentially inlining yeah. styles. Oh, yeah. And, Important know, styles. Yeah. Like right there. Oh, Aphrodite was doing automatic importance after every rule, I think, for <laughs> yeah. a while. Oh, my God. I think that changed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I can see having a heart attack. <laughs> like, important <laughs> everything. everything. <laughs> but I think there have been some 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 great solutions that have come out. You know, Dave was telling me about Fellow before the podcast came up, and I honestly hadn't heard of it. And I consider myself someone with their ear to the ground. <laughs> so Fellow was new to me. Style components looks really great. Glamorous. Glamour. There's a bunch of them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like an old timer saying like, I prefer my CSS modules. <laughs> you know? yeah, and it's like cane. not yeah. even that new, but I remember pitching CSS modules a couple of years ago and they're like, we don't get this. <laughs> this is weird. It's like now CSS modules is like the the, the, old? the old thing. It's just, <laughs> like, just like, let's, yeah, here I am. Like, let's write CSS. And oh, let's, you know, import it in JavaScript. And people are like, oh, we've been there, bro. We're in, <laughs> we're in Stone Fella. You know? right. like, They're in their spaceship. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Wait, so with CSS modules, would you say that that, like, is doing a similar thing as as fellow like where you, you're having like CSS in the JavaScript because you're using Webpack to like inject it, import it, and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think what I want, what I the need I saw fulfilled by CSS and JS, which was also filled by CSS modules, was mm-hmm. the ability to conditionally apply CSS in your React components or your JavaScript framework. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it in Angular two and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and so that's what I wanted. And but the other problems around CSS, like performance around like generating classes for different rules and stringing them together automatically, building, you know, one style sheet that you can ship off and cutting down on a lot of duplicates and composition and stuff like that was solved by CSS modules for me. So I don't, I don't, the only thing that CSS modules doesn't have that I could see people wanting, though I haven't quite found a need for is to dynamically build a CSS rule. Mm-hmm. So say if I'm building a grid and, you know, I want a row and I want it to be row span 10, then, you know, if I'm using CSS modules, I have to have a CSS class that's, you know, row grid span, span 10. 10. Yeah. So my choices are essentially predefined, right. which is not bad if you're using like a design system or a pattern library where like you constrain the amount of available choices in the world. But, you know, with abstractions come limitations and say one day I want to span 20,000 rows. You know, there's, you know, you know I know. We're going to have big ass screens in the future. <laughs> 4K. Yeah, yeah, all 4K. 50 inches the norm. Yeah. 50 inch wide Yeah, but then, you know, so like I couldn't couldn't have my component say like, oh, suddenly I want 20,000. I'd right. make a style like change. Algorithmically decide like how many... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. there's probably but. a more practical use case than a, a 20,000 <laughs> yeah. span row, but just imagine <laughs> some sort of dynamic data rendering CSS. You, like you don't have that flexibility if you have to predefine yeah. your CSS, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of optimizations you can do at build time to you know remove duplicates and, and all that. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm sticking to my CSS models. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that that's kind of like a good a good thing, like to limit the amount that you have to reason about and like constrain it which is it takes more discipline when you're doing javascript and css mm-hmm. so i guess maybe to wrap up like we we can have a final question like who's gonna win is it gonna be javascript with styles or is it gonna be just straight css oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> well to buy myself some time i will say like i remember you know 
I started my career in as a software developer in the early 2010. So I think my first job was in 2011. And I think around that time, Backbone was in vogue. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, Backbone was a response to, you know, the jQuery stuff. And jQuery was a response to like, oh, crap, we want like dynamic data in HTML. Mm-hmm. So then after Backbone, I came upon Angular. And I guess sort of the industry too was like, oh, you know, Angular is like, got built in data binding and like, wow, that solves a huge pain in the ass about backbone. Right. Mm-hmm. And then so on and so on. And then react came out and you're like, and it was, you know, pff, light bulb moment yeah. or brain exploding moment. And you're like, Oh, the state, the model of using state and declarative components is super powerful. And I think that's had a, a huge effect, I think on the JavaScript framework community. And I think you've seen that happen. Like it's trickled down to like view and, and to an extent angular too, and maybe polymer. Hashtag use the platform. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, there's endless Twitter wars between the polymer. Yeah, (laughs) web components. Yeah, web component. Thank you. So that was a huge tangent to buy myself some time (laughs) to think about. So I don't think anything's going to win. I think a lot of these solutions are very good. It's the decision really comes down to like, does A, B, or C technology work for your team? You know, can it meet the goals of the product, which is why we build software in the first place to right, deliver yeah. some value in the world? And do the people on your team feel comfortable with it? Yeah. You know, I've I been on it. teams that love JSS and I was like, I don't know if I love it, but like, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think that was the correct answer. Yeah. It, depends. it depends. <laughs> yeah. it depends. Uh, the best answer is no answer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ian, how can people reach you? Ooh, so I'm on Twitter, Ian McNally underscore. There you go. Shout out to the other Ian McNally that beat me. (laughs) (laughs) And my website is ianmcnally.me. That's Ian, I-A-N, McNally with two L's. Awesome. I don't know why I need to spell out my first name. Uh, (laughs) It's three letters, although you'd be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. (laughs) I've got Ian. Yeah, but <laughs> my CBS card is to Ann McNally. <laughs> uh, but I A N. Make sure the, the listeners know. Ian, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, now. everyone. Really, it's so re- much fun. Really appreciate it. Our mm-hmm. co-host yeah, Dave so. Anderson. Thank you, good and time. our and our regular guest. Always, yes, always good you. to have you. <laughs> Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com/slash/radiofreerabbit. This is the rabbit hole. We'll see you next time. <laughs>